Yeah, it was good to have uh, some vacation time this past week. I missed being with you all last Sunday and appreciated getting to watch the service and, and Justin's message and, and uh, the worship leading up to that. And uh, glad to be, be back home today. Christmas was approaching and the, the judge was in a, a merry mood when he asked the prisoner who stood before him, what, with what are you charged? What, what is your offense? And the defendant replied, Your Honor, I am on trial for doing my Christmas shopping early. The judge says, that, that's no offense. How early were you doing your shopping? And the defendant replied sheepishly, before the store opened. I hope you've gotten a good start on buying gifts to give for Christmas, and it certainly can be a hectic season of the year. Today, I want to provide you with some tools that will help you not just survive Christmas, but actually enjoy Christmas this year. First, we need to avoid the distractions of Christmas. Satan's use of diversionary tactics to take our focus off of Jesus, the reason for the season, is nothing new. In fact, our enemy has been attempting to distract people from the birth of Christ since the, the very first Christmas when Jesus arrived on earth as a baby. But the struggle actually dates back farther than that, all the way back to the third chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And since the beginning, there was this spiritual tension. Theologians refer to that verse as the proto-evangelium, the, the first gospel. And in the opening pages of the Bible, as this drama was unfolding, God already had a plan to reclaim the, the fallen human race. But without a sinless Savior dying as a sacrifice for the human race, Satan would be slated to win this titanic struggle of good versus evil, right versus wrong, God versus Satan. So let's return to that first Christmas reading from Luke chapter 2 and set the stage there in verse 1. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. At the time Jesus came to earth on that first Christmas, there were many things to, to draw the focus away from the significance of what was at hand. For starters, there was this government-imposed census to facilitate taxation of the public. And this required traveling to one's birthplace to, to pay the tax. And we remember that Judea, the, the Hebrew homeland, was under Roman occupation. Their taxes amounted to paying tribute to this foreign regime. And there were many distractions at that time, and, and that's still the way it is at Christmas for us today. We have distractions. Satan wants to distract us. In December, such a hectic month. Shopping, long lines, baking, wrapping presents, preparing for company, mailing packages, uh, attending parties and, and dinners, traveling, getting a tree decorated. 
it's exhausting, isn't it, just hearing about it? So would you please be conscious of this truth? Satan often uses good things to crowd out the best things. Satan won't try to deny Christmas, but he will seek to distract us from the proper focus until our observance only remotely celebrates the birth of Jesus. Maybe you've looked, uh, for example, at the calendar, and you have thought or said, oh, I wish Christmas wasn't falling on a Sunday this year. That will mess up some of my plans for the celebration. But don't, don't miss the irony of that statement. So getting together for worship on Christmas Sunday with family and church family to celebrate Christ's birth, the, the reason for the season, will mess up some of our social plans for the weekend. Don't let our adversary distract you from the real point of Christmas. Open gifts early, then come to church. Open gifts after church. We, we had a tradition where we would open a gift on Christmas Eve. Just don't miss the point of giving gifts at Christmas is because God gave us the greatest gift, Jesus. Sometimes we hear the comment, well, I'll be glad when it's all over. As the pressure intensifies and the, the number of remaining shopping days is minimized, we've all felt that pressure mounting of not having enough time to, to get prepared. Years ago, in an affluent neighborhood in California, a family decided to go out on Christmas Eve and, and serenade their neighbors with carols. In one house where they stopped, there was hectic confusion with Christmas preparations. They were rushing around. There was tension. And as the lady opened the door, she said to the singers, not now, please, we're too busy. The gentleman in the group merely said, yes, ma'am, and then moved away. The woman didn't realize that the carolers had been Bing and Kathy Crosby with their family. Little did this woman know she had just rejected a serenade from Mr. White Christmas himself. I learned an interesting fact that Bing Crosby has sold more records than any person or group in music history. He has outsold the Beatles. He has outsold Elvis. He was the biggest of all time. Someone a lot bigger than Bing Crosby wants to be invited to your house this Christmas. And if Jesus comes to your house and you say, not now, I'm busy, he'll move away too. Ralph Spalding Cushman penned this poem, let not our hearts be busy ends that have no room for thee, but cradles for the living Christ and his nativity. Still driven by a thousand cares, the pilgrims come and go. The hurried caravans press on. The inns are crowded so. Here are the rich and busy ones with things that must be sold. No room for simple things within this hostelry of gold. Yet hunger dwells within these walls, these shining walls and bright. And blindness groping here and there without a ray of light. Oh, lest we starve and lest we die in our stupidity, come, holy child, within and share our hospitality. Let not our hearts be busy ends that have no room for thee, but cradles for the living Christ and his 
nativity. Christian singer Michael Card wrote these lyrics. Forgive me, Lord, for being so dim. I've embraced all your gifts, put my arms around them. I was holding so tight, it was all I could do. I forgot that my arms belong just around you. As the month of December begins, would you be sure to establish your priorities and, and focus on the real purpose of Christmas? Jesus coming to earth to redeem the human race. He was born to die for us. Avoid the distractions of Christmas. And also at this season, we will face the distortions of Christmas. Soon your, your mailbox will be stuffed with slick, color, glossy ads from Kohl's, Bass Pro Shop, East Bay Athletic Gear. And you'll get these ads in the coming days because it is the season. In case you haven't noticed, there is a conspiracy of commercialism as gifted advertising agents endeavor to make us discontent with what we already have and make us want more, bigger, and newer items that we don't have. Stores are, are dressed up with festive seasonal decorations and displays, complete with Christmas music playing as the backdrop to a, a sentimental return to our childhood and a nostalgic nirvana of warm and fuzzy sentiments designed to cloud our objectivity and encourage more spending. I'm not suggesting that marketing people are evil. They're just doing their jobs. Our job is to be content and not be quickly drawn offsides into the no man's land of impulse buying. Credit spending is promoted to make purchases appear to be within reach. And the reality is, if you spend more than you have to give elaborate gifts, you will feel the pressure from financial imbalance. Now, anyone who laments, Christmas doesn't last all year, doesn't buy gifts on credit. Uh, unrestrained spending now, what will leave a bittersweet aftertaste of high interest debt for months to come, unless you approach the holidays with balance. Excessive spending is one of the distortions of Christmas. And to combat its effects, we need to practice more contentment and less consumerism. We need more contentment and less consumerism. The, the news media reminds us that there are only 20 shopping days remaining until Christmas. Now, I'd like for us to consider a little shift on that. Would you consider that there are only 20 giving days until Christmas? Not shopping days, but giving days. Opportunities to step in and provide encouragement by giving in some way to others before Christmas. This morning, let's, let's take a real honest look at our attitudes toward giving, especially in terms of how it relates to the Christmas season. Often we give expecting reciprocation. We do a favor for someone realizing that that favor one day may be returned. <coughs> we buy someone's lunch, sometimes expecting the next time ours may be purchased. We send Christmas cards to those who sent us Christmas cards. We give gifts to those whom we know are buying gifts for us. 
And this isn't inherently evil. It's, it's not a sin. But this conditional approach isn't really giving. It is exchanging. And giving is greater than exchanging. When I was three years old, my, my mother took me downtown Christmas shopping at Shillitoe's. And we stopped for lunch, and proudly, I displayed the, the model horse that I had purchased as a gift for my dad. And with excitement, I told the lady seated beside me, it's for my dad. The lady asked, oh, does your daddy like horses? And I answered, no, but I sure do. <laughs> At least I was honest. I want you to consider that as much fun as it is to receive a gift, Jesus taught that there is something even better, giving a gift. Giving is greater than receiving. Years ago, when one of my uncles remarried, his stepson was included in our annual cousin gift exchange, but his mother never got the memo about the suggested spending limit. So when Corey gave his gift, it cost several times as much as the other gifts that were being exchanged. Secretly, my brother and I hoped that he would draw one of our names for the, the gift exchange. Uh, imagine a, a post-Christmas conversation that might have gone something like this. What'd you get? A slinky? Oh. What'd you get? A brand new car! Oh, did Corey have your name? You know it. Well, listen to the words of, of Jesus in Luke 14, beginning in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus taught that when we have a party or host an event, we should not only invite our friends, but we should reach out and welcome the poor, the, the disadvantaged. Jesus taught, don't just ask your brothers to come, but be considerate to those who might otherwise be overlooked. Jesus said not to focus only on your relatives, but also to think about that lame individual whom others will forget. Jesus said, don't just use this to network with your rich neighbors, but let this be an occasion to include that blind person who rarely gets invited to things. I know of twin sisters who live in another state, and they are a little slower. They speak with some speech impediments. Their personal hygiene practices aren't the best. They work at minimum wage jobs at a discount store. They are the type of people who are overlooked by most. But they have been loved, accepted, and embraced by their church. When the girls celebrated their 30th birthdays, some people at their church got together and provided a very special birthday celebration for the sisters to say, we love you, in a way that they had never gotten to experience before in any previous uh, expression. Christmas should really be about the marginalized being loved by Jesus through the kind thoughtfulness of some of his people. This is truly giving. Anything else 
It is simply exchanging. Those capable of returning a kindness probably don't need it as much as those people who are unable to return the favor. And the concept is God will repay. And it comes directly from verse 17 in Proverbs chapter 19. It says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him for what he has done. The Living Bible paraphrases that same verse. He who helps the poor lends to God and he pays excellent interest. May I challenge you for a minute that you revisit what your family's Christmas gift-giving tradition is? This year, would you approach your Christmas differently and, and make your Christmas celebration more than just a, a mammoth gift exchange among family and friends? This Luke 14 passage reminds us that true giving is giving without expecting a response. So why not select someone who will be unable to reciprocate and then brighten his or her holiday with a gift? Uh, you can make it even more of a surprise if you, if you give it anonymously. Try it, and, and you can enjoy this blessing of giving, which is more fun than exchanging. We need more giving and less exchanging. So give a note, a phone call, a visit, uh, a card, a gift to one with no expectation of getting anything in return. Invite a lonely person to lunch. Remember those who have lost a loved one this year and let them know you haven't forgotten their pain or their loved one who is gone. Give a gift certificate or a surprise cash gift. And when sharing a gift with someone, the surest way to prevent reciprocation is to give it anonymously. We love him because he first loved us. We give gifts because he first gave to us. And we remember that that great gift came on that first Christmas. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The distractions of Christmas can take the emphasis off of the Savior's birth and, and put it on the seasonal celebration. And one of the distortions of Christmas is it just becomes a holiday. We need more holy day and less holiday. Too many times we view Christmas as simply a day off work, a time for good food, a chance to see family and friends, a, a time for relaxing. And while Christmas is about all of those things, it is so much more than that. It is a holy day, a spiritual occasion. And we need to be more concerned with praying on Christmas than simply playing on Christmas. Jesus' birth can be reduced to an excuse for a party. Well, let me caution you about the use of alcohol at this season. The company party, the spiked eggnog, the New Year's party, for, for many, the, the alcohol will flow. And this stimulant has proven to be a snare for, for many, causing regret. I've seen it prompt inappropriate statements at the, the neighborhood Christmas party, lost inhibitions, destructive choices. Indulgence can cause damage to decision-making or a reputation, accidents, DUIs, abuse, and broken families. Several years ago, I was scheduled to speak to a January event for 500 men at a church in, in Lancaster, Ohio. 
And the topic I was addressing was purity in our actions. Just days before I arrived to speak, the the local TV news stations broke a story about a, a respected state highway patrolman, a family man, who had been terminated in disgrace after he had inappropriately touched two girls in a hot tub at Great Wolf Lodge on New Year's Eve. What would possess the civil servant to act so inappropriately? He had had a few drinks. He wasn't drunk. He just succumbed to the rhetoric that a few drinks won't matter as long as you don't get drunk. Well, it did matter to those girls, to him, to his wife and family, to his fellow state highway patrolmen, and to his church. You see, he was a member of the men's group at the church in Lancaster where I spoke just days after his high-profile indiscretion. I wish I had spoken there a week earlier and would have had the chance to warn him of the understated risks of alcohol. Would you hear my caution for you to please beware of this distortion of Christmas so you won't have any regrets? We've looked at the distractions of Christmas, the distortions of Christmas. Finally, let's consider the dimensions of Christmas. I believe that for many of us, Christmas is our favorite time of the year. Why is that? I think what we like about Christmas is that for a few weeks, people concentrate more on others and less on themselves. And so the question that's asked is, will the spirit of Christmas last for you this year? That depends on you. The food will run out, the the tree will dry out, the candles will burn out, the presents will wear out, the lights will fade out, the money will run out, but we must look beyond these externals of Christmas and celebrate the true meaning and and possess the lasting values and attitudes. And, And the Christmas spirit is actually the Christian spirit, which can be enjoyed all year long. These qualities that we associate with Christmas and enjoy about Christmas are to be characteristics found in the daily lives of Christ followers living to his glory. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those are the qualities we appreciate at this time of the year. For a few days, people think more about others and less about self. And Jesus is commanding each of us to go out of your way to to do something for someone else. For many, the next 12 weeks will be the toughest stretch on the calendar. Post-holiday blues, personal depression, loneliness, bleak weather, intensification of grief, financial problems, job concerns, strained, dysfunctional family get-togethers, lack of family or friends, all of those components can contribute to some tough days. Would you put your love into practice? Let me build on what Justin challenged us to do last Sunday in sacrificially serving. 
I like the definition that serving is love with work clothes on. So send that card. Give that gift. Make that phone call. Lift that burden. Share that compliment. Express your thanks. Listen to the lonely. Grieve with the hurting. Rejoice with the happy. Giving is greater than exchanging. Giving is greater than receiving. Giving is greater than keeping. In addition to fulfilling our financial responsibility as Christians to give to support the Lord's work, I think there are other ways that we need to be quick to give. We can give the gift of forgiveness to one who has hurt or upset us. We can give a hug to a grieving friend after waiting in a long line at a visitation. We can give a sincere compliment as an encouragement to someone. We can give the benefit of the doubt when something questionable happens. We can give others the the best seat, the the biggest slice, the, the first turn. Giving is greater than keeping. Jesus could have kept safety, honor, privilege, title, and control by remaining in heaven. Instead, he determined that giving is greater than keeping, and he relinquished all of his rights and authority by coming to earth as a helpless infant that first Christmas. He left beauty, peace, perfection, praise to be surrounded by corruption, hatred, turmoil, and sin. (coughs) Philippians 2 described the example of Jesus like this, beginning in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but making himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, submitted himself. What are some practical ways that we can submit ourselves, empty ourselves out in service? How can we demonstrate that value that giving is greater than keeping? Let's say you're preparing to select your towel for your morning shower, and there are only two towels that are left. One is a thick, plump, large bath towel. The other is a thin, flimsy, frayed scrawny towel. Which towel do you choose? The baby is crying. It's 3 a.m. Do you pretend to be asleep and hope your spouse wakes up, or do you get up out of your warm bed and and care for the baby? When you shower, do you use all the hot water, or do you save some for your roommate? You're driving in traffic, and someone is trying to merge. What do you do? Ladies, you're shopping at the mall, and there's nowhere to park except for that handy parking spot designated for the disabled. It's beginning to sleet. Your only disability is that you don't like to get wet. What do you do? Teens, you're playing basketball. You have an open shot, but so does someone who's closer to the basket. What do you do? Men, the cake has been cut. The plates are being passed around the table. This is your favorite German chocolate cake. A particularly big slice is handed to you. You can keep it for old number one or you can pass it on to those who haven't been served yet. What do you do? Would you remember that giving is greater than keeping? Freely you have received, freely give. 
We love him because he first loved us. And we give because he first gave to us. But one of my first speaking opportunities took place at the, the Three Rivers Nursing Home in, in Miami Heights during my senior year in high school. Our, our youth group led a, a Christmas service there, and I, I got to speak for it. And at that time, I, I wrote this poem to use in my message. God gave us salvation, gave us his love, sent down his son from heaven above. God gave us Jesus. What more could he give? He sent a redeemer that sinners might live. As we close this morning, would you listen carefully to the lyrics of, of this song called Better Days? It says, and, and you ask me what I want this year. I try to make this kind and clear. Just a chance that maybe we'll find better days. Because I don't need boxes wrapped in strings and designer and love and empty things. Just a chance that maybe we'll find better days. So take these words and sing out loud. Can everyone be forgiven now? Because tonight's the night the world begins again. And it's someplace simple where we could live and something only you could give. And that's faith and trust and peace while we're alive. There was one poor child who saved this world. There's 10 million more who fight to live. Can we all just stop and say a prayer for them? Then the chorus repeats. So take these words and sing out loud. Can everyone be forgiven now? Because tonight's the night the world begins again. Just stand right now. We'll have better days, as that song describes, when we take the, the Christmas spirit and, and live it out all year long as the Christian spirit. This morning, if you want to respond to that very first gift and give your life back to the Lord, we'd love to help you with that. Come forward and we'll begin that conversation and, and help you make that commitment as we, as we sing.